following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So things are going to be a little different today. Uh, we're going to do some readings, and um, because this is Pentecost, the day of Pentecost Sunday, um, we're going to kind of do things. Um, the cool thing about Pentecost is there was this division, and the Holy Spirit came down and was able to, you know, anoint people so that they could speak to people they couldn't understand. And so we're kind of going to experiment with that a little bit today. So we're going to have some readings in different tongues and languages. And then we're going to have some reflections on those passages. But we're going to start off with uh, Jolene, and she's going to read the passage um, of Pentecost. All right, so this passage kind of tells the events of the day of Pentecost. It's from Acts, if you want to follow along in a Bible, Acts 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Also guten Morgen, ich heiße Benjamin, ich lese von die erste Buch von Moses, 11 Kapitel 1 bis 9. Die Menschen hatten damals alles noch dieselbe Sprache und dieselben Wörter. Als sie nach Osten zogen, 
fanden sie eine Ebene im Land Schinar und ließen sich dort nieder. Sie sagten zueinander, los, wir machen Ziegel aus Lehm und brennen sie zu Stein. Die Ziegel wollten sie als Bausteine verwenden und Asphalt als Murtel. Dann sagten sie, los, bauen wir einen Stadt und einen Turm, der bis an die Himmel reicht. So werden wir uns einen Namen machen und verhindern, dass wir uns über die ganze Erde zu streuen. Yahweh kam herab, um sich anzusehen, was die Menschen da baten. Einen Staat mit einem Türm. Da sagte er, es ist offensichtlich. Sie sind einziges Volk und sprachen ihr eine Sprache. Und was sie jetzt begonnen haben, zeigt, dass ihnen kündig nichts unmöglich sein wird. Sie werden alles tun, was sie sich auszudenken. Los, steigen wir hinunter und verwirren ihre Sprache, dass keiner mehr den anderen versteht. So streutet Yahweh die Menschen von dort aus über die ganze Erde, und sie mussten aufhören, die Stadt zu bauen. Deswegen gab man der Stadt den Namen Babel, Verwirrung, denn Yahweh hatte dort die Sprache der Menschen verwehrt, und sie von diesem Ort aus über die ganze Erde zu streut. So that was pretty amazing, right? <laughs> Here's the English version. Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen and mortar. Then they said, come. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the mortals had built, and the Lord said, Look, they are one people and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language There, so they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So Sarah and I are going to do a little. Um, or at least run through like kind of the mental steps of um, the devotion that we had throughout the week. So our first question when we approached the text was, what were the people doing that was actually wrong, right? It doesn't actually say that they were doing anything wrong. It's kind of implied. So what was it that they were doing wrong? Traditionally, human pride has been seen to be the sin of the people, the culprit. The argument usually goes something like, The people of Babel wanted to build the tower with its top in the heavens so that they could be like God and boast of their accomplishments, right? Make a name for themselves. However, in other ancient Near Eastern cultures, and I'm going to get a little nerdy right here, um, 
During the time of the Babel episode, biblical archaeology has shown that the function of these towers, which were called ziggurats, uh, was to provide a, a means for the city's God to descend from heaven and bless the people in the city. So in this way, the tower then isn't a stairway to heaven, right? It's a stairway to the city. So the text says that God actually did come down, as would be expected, um, and just as we saw. So our question, right, still stood. What were the people doing that was actually wrong? So we read the text against the backdrop of Genesis one twenty-eight, where God instructs humanity to be fruitful and multiply to fill and subdue the earth. And then it's restatement in Genesis 9, where God makes a covenant with Noah after the flood and instructs humanity again to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth. Against this backdrop, it looks like what was wrong with the vision of the people at Babel was that they were going against their creative calling to fill the earth by coming together as one homogenous group. God's selection, as we saw, was to cause the people, or God's solution, sorry, solution, as we saw, was to cause the people to scatter by creating linguistic and by extension cultural diversity. Cue Sarah. Okay. After meditating on this text and talking about it, uh, we came to kind of a surprising conclusion. Unity brings unparalleled strength and ability. God himself said that there is nothing that they cannot now accomplish. That's incredible. We humans are capable of accomplishing truly spectacular things. Just look at what we as a civilization have accomplished in the last hundred years. We split the atom, we've gone to the moon, we built computers, and we've built skyscrapers higher than anything these people could possibly have imagined. We strive for unity in the church, in our community, in the world, and understandably so, because it makes us stronger as a people. But, as the story shows, unity can also distract us from our true purpose and calling as God's people. The people who built the tower were capable of great things, and they still were after their languages were confused. What changed was their focus. By confusing their languages, God steered them back to his plan for humanity, a plan that not only embraces diversity, but encourages it. So, let's ask ourselves, what is our focus as a community of believers and as individuals? Is our focus on unity? That's not a bad thing. Unity gives us incredible strength to do God's work. But the strength is also comfortable. And we all know God never lets us be comfortable for too long. The story of the Tower of Babel shows a people being pushed out of their comfort zone why? To fulfill God's plan. We are all capable of great things, but are we so comfortable and distracted by our own capabilities that we forget God's calling, that we forget Christ's calling? Let's not forget 
it's often in the uncomfortable, in the diverse, and in the many languages that we find God's kingdom. Bonjour. Jean 14. Philippe lui dit, Seigneur, montre-nous le Père, et cela nous suffit. Jésus lui dit, il y a si longtemps que je suis avec vous, et tu ne m'as pas connu, Philippe Celui qui m'a vu a vu le Père. Celui, comment, comment dis-tu, montre-nous le Père Ne crois-tu pas que je suis dans le Père, et que le Père est en moi Les paroles que je vous dis, je ne les dis pas de moi-même. Et le Père qui, qui demeure en moi, c'est lui qui fait les œuvres. Croyez-moi, je suis dans le Père, et le Père est en moi. Croyez du moins à cause de ses œuvres. En vérité, en vérité, je vous le dis, celui qui croit en moi fera aussi les œuvres que je veux faire. Et il en fera des plus grandes parce que je suis, parce que je m'en vais au Père. Et tout ce que je vous demanderai, en mon nom, je le ferai, afin que le Père soit glorifié dans le Fils. Si vous demandez quelque chose en mon nom, je le ferai. Si vous m'aimez, gardez mes commandements. Et moi, je prierai le Père. Il vous donnera un autre consolateur afin qu'il demeure éternellement avec vous. L'esprit de vérité que le monde ne peut recevoir parce qu'il ne voit pas le point et ne connaît, et ne connaît point. Mais vous, vous le connaissez car il, de, que, car il demeure avec vous et il sera en vous. Je vous ai dit ces choses pendant que je demeure avec vous. Mais le Consolateur, l'Esprit Saint, que le Père enverra en mon nom, vous enseignera toutes choses et vous rappellera tout ce que je vous ai dit. Je vous laisse la paix, je vous donne ma paix. Je ne vous donne pas comme, comme le monde donne, que votre cœur ne se tourne point et ne s'alarme point. In that first passage, one of the very first things it said about the day of Pentecost was that they were all gathered in one place. So it's, to me, it's very cool that this just happens to be the week that we stopped having two services and we're all gathered in one place and at one time. So it's nice to see you all today um, as we celebrate Pentecost. I enjoy, I've actually been in other groups where um, the scripture is read uh, in, in, in other tongues and people are encouraged to follow along and read along, and, and I, I, it's, it's a powerful thing. I really enjoy it. I was so glad what Scott said that we we're going to be doing that today. Um, but I also enjoy reading scriptures. Um, I, I rarely follow along in the scripture that's being preached from on the stage because, or the platform because um, I find that reading along in a different version helps with nuance. It helps with understanding. It helps with understanding what God's words are versus what the words on the page are. So I'm not even going to give you <clears throat> excuse me, the benefit of... Uh, being able to follow along in the Bibles that you have in your laps right now. Because I'm going to read from a um, version called The Voice. I accidentally found myself in a uh, King James Version-only debate with a friend of mine this week that I didn't mean to get into and uh, remembered quickly uh, how little time I have for any of that stuff in my life. So I'm going to read from The Voice just because. And uh, I do encourage you to follow along in your, in your pew Bibles. Because we have pews. Philip, Lord, all I am asking is that you show us the Father. Jesus to Philip, I have lived with you all this time and you still don't know who I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
How can you keep asking to see the Father? Don't you believe me when I say I abide in the Father and the Father dwells in me? I'm not making this up as I go along. The Father has given me these truths that I have been speaking to you, and he empowers all my actions. Accept these truths. I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. If you have trouble believing based on my words, believe because of the things I've done. I tell you the truth. Whoever believes in me will be able to do what I have done, but they will do even greater things, because I will return to be with the Father. Whatever you ask for in my name, I will do it, so that the Father will get glory from the Son. Let me say it again. If you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, obey the commandments I have given you. I will ask the Father to send yet excuse me, I will ask the Father to send you another helper, the Spirit of Truth, who will remain constantly with you. The world does not recognize the Spirit of Truth, because it does not know the Spirit, and is unable to receive him. But you do know the Spirit because he lives with you, and he will dwell in you. And then further down to page, uh, chapter, or excuse me, verse 25. I've spoken these words while I'm here with you. The Father is sending a great helper, the Holy Spirit, in my name to teach you everything and to remind you of all that I've said to you. My peace is the legacy that I give to you. I don't give gifts like those of this world. Do not let your heart be troubled or be fearful. A little bit of context here. Um, if, if you were to go back into thirteen, it, or chapter 13, it's still the same story that we're in right now. Um, and this is just before the, the Lord's final supper with his, with his closest circle, his, his, uh, the 12 disciples. And in the narrative in, in John, it talks about how Jesus um, went through the ritual of, of washing their feet and everyone was saying they were unworthy of that and everything. And then he dismisses Judas to go take care of what he needs to do. And he gives them all a new commandment. He says, this is my new commandment for you, to love each other even as I have loved you. So that's a backdrop here. And then he tells them that he's got to go away. And all this stuff's going to happen to him. He's going to be leaving, but he'll be coming back. And the disciples get kind of freaked out because they don't know where he's going and they don't know the way. And he tells Thomas, well, I'm the way, the truth, and life. This is all stuff you've heard. Um, so then we have Philip saying, Lord, all I'm asking you is that you show us the Father. To which I have to stop and go, really, Philip? That's all, you know, just... Peel back the heavens and show us God and we'll believe you. And, you know, we've seen all this stuff and everything. Seems like a, you know, a pretty big request, if you ask me. But. And so Jesus says, you know, if I've lived with you all this time and you still don't know who I am, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, don't you believe that I abide in the Father and the Father dwells in me? I live in the Father. The Father lives in me. I'm with the Father. The Father's with me. I'm not making this up. But if you can't accept these truths... And if you have trouble believing based on my words, then believe because of the things I've done. And then he says, and this is always problematic for me, and it's something that I've been wrestling with as as Scott has asked me to meditate on this piece. I tell you the truth, whoever believes in me will be able to do what I've done, but they will do even greater things because I will return to be with the Father. He's not speaking only to the disciples in this case because he says whoever, anyone, anybody that believes in me will be able to do what I've done, which when I read the passage of scripture, I can't do that, or I would never need to go to Wegmans again, or I would, you know, I, I would be able to create my own universe. Like, there's just lots of things Jesus has done, you know, that, I, that obviously we can't do. So that's weird. That's problematic. So what does he mean? We'll, we'll do greater things. And then he talks about asking things in his name. Well, what is this name exactly? He's saying God lives in him, and, and in a way, when he answers Philip, he, he's confirming that he himself is actually God. So What's this name that we're asking for things for? And, and then the spirit who currently dwells with them, which is interesting, and then will dwell with you, um, is also being sent in Jesus' name. 
So these are some things that just, you know, don't seem to really add up. And when you say, okay, you know, great, I can do things Jesus did because he said I could, and, um, and I'm going to do greater things. I don't know how that's going to be the case or how that's possible. If you would like to join me, please turn to um, 1 John 4. And in the Red Bibles, that's on page 991. It's near the end, right before Revelation and all the mutant animals and war and stuff. Now, this is a verse that most of you probably are pretty familiar with, 1 John 4, chapter 7. Or, excuse me, 1 John chapter 7, verse <laughs> 4, verse 7. And in this translation it reads, My loved ones, let us devote ourselves to loving one another. Love comes straight from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and truly knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. No one has ever seen God with human eyes, but if we love one another, God truly lives in us. Consequently, God's love has accomplished its mission among us. I think your translation probably says something to the effect of his his love is made perfect in us. How can we be sure that he truly lives in us and we truly live in him? By one fact, he has given us his spirit. We have watched what God has done, and we stand ready to provide eyewitness testimonies to the reality that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Down to 16, we have experienced and we have entrusted our lives to the love of God in us. God is love. Anyone who lives faithfully in love also lives faithfully in God, and God lives in him. This is the same John who gave an account that we read a little while ago where it said, you know, there's this spirit coming, Jesus said, and this helper is going to help you, and if you ask things in my name, you know, it'll be done to you, unto you. And now we hear very similar language in John's account a little later on when he says, how can we be sure he truly lives in us and that we truly live in him? So now the same message that Jesus has where God lives in us and we live in him is, is here with the disciples for the church, for the future, saying if we love, then we know that God lives, lives in us and, and we live in him. Isn't Philip's question of, you know, Lord, show us the heaven, show, show us the Father and, and that'll be enough, isn't I mean, don't we all kind of ask that, really? I mean, if we get down to it, we, we have a faith, we believe, um, but oftentimes, you know, we, it just, we, we want to see more. And I think that the important thing to understand here is in Jesus' economy of things and how he does stuff, uh, he's, it's pretty topsy-turvy. Um, you know, I think back to Jesus saying, you'll do greater things than I've done. And I think resurrections, and I think creation, and I think healing and, and putting lepers back together. And what Jesus is doing in that moment is washing his disciples' feet and sharing a meal with someone who's going to betray him. Um, and what, so I just wonder if maybe we tend to overthink that, or, or maybe it's you know, obvious to us that, of course, it's going to be these big dramatic things. But if you ask me, we all ask that question. And my answer to that would be, I've seen God in this place. I have, truly. Um, when we shared the heartbreak of a, of a mother not too long ago who uh, just shared how tragic and heartbroken she was after a miscarriage, we wept with her. When someone's physical body won't let them bend down to tie their shoes, I've seen people rush to help. When my wife shared that 
completely out of her comfort zone, her struggles with having a chronic illness and how much that hurts her and how much it makes her feel inadequate as a parent and a, and a wife, meals start showing up. And it's not wasn't once. It was week after week after week after week after week after week. Who's on this week? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it, it's been two months. I mean, we, you know, when, when, when someone's family life is just in tatters, I've seen us mourn and struggle with those people. We are here on a day talking about the Spirit indwelling us, and I see God so much in this place. And there were times when I felt like maybe we are a little too high on our own haunches here, and we talk about how great arson is maybe a little too much sometimes. But I've stopped doing that because what, when people talk about that, what they're saying is these are the way that God has manifest himself in our community. And I'm not ever going to be critical of that. And I love all of you, and I'm looking forward to years of this. Bom dia a todo mundo, meu nome é Joel. Eu vou estar lendo hoje de Romanos 8, versículo 14 a 18. Pois todos os que são guiados pelo Espírito de Deus, esses são filhos de Deus. Porque não recebestes o espírito de escravidão para outra vez estar com temor, mas recebestes o espírito de adoção, pelo qual chamamos Abba Pai. O Espírito mesmo testifica com o nosso espírito que somos filhos de Deus, e se filho também herdeiro, herdeiro de Deus e co-herdeiro de Cristo, se é certo que com ele padecemos, para que também com ele sejamos glorificados. And now in English, we have uh, Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So as I was thinking of uh, what to say um, this week, um, I was reading through all the, the lectionary passages, and the very first thing that struck me um, was Ben's German, no, was the passage that Ben led in German and, and Chris spoke about in Genesis um, where the people were building this tower to reach the heavens for what reason? To make a name for themselves, right? And what struck me was how much I resonated with that. You know, how I want to make a name for myself. I want my reputation to be esteemed by my friends at school and by my friends here at church and everywhere, you know. Um, whether... Uh, it's trying to make the best grade so that my teachers will look at me and be impressed and proud and respect me um, or doing well in a job or wearing certain clothes or whatever it is. I do these things um, because I want to make a name for myself. And I believe deep down the root of that is that if I don't do these things, I have this fear that that would mean that I'm not going to be loved and I'm not going to be accepted. You know, this is a fear that was really... Um, something that imprisons me. It, may, it, make, it makes me a slave. Like I strive so hard, put so much effort into this doing, doing, doing so that I can be recognized 
um, so that I can make a name for myself. And uh, what struck me in Genesis was made so much more powerful by what I read in Romans 8, um, where it said that God, God, he didn't give us a spirit. Where is it? Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Um, and that's what I, I do that all the time. I, I, I allow my fear to really guide my life so much of the time. And um, it's just, it's a really, I think, a, a deep and meaningful reminder that, you know, that's not the spirit that God gives us. He gave us a spirit of adoption. Um, and, yeah, he's invited us to be his children, you know. And my parents in Brazil, they work um, in a lot of social work, different, a lot of different social work things. And one of the things I work a lot with is um, they work among, with orphans. And uh, I can't get this image out of my head when I think about orphans. Um, one of the little kids that for, arrived to the, the orphanage there, he was just two weeks old, two weeks old or so. And I remember, if you know, if you have a baby here at Artisan, I'm going to know you because I like babies. Not in a creepy way, but you know, I like babies. I love you, Max. Um, but uh, I, as soon as this kid came to this orphanage, I ran to him because I wanted to hold him and love him. And this two-week-old baby just had this expression of sheer terror in his face because of those two weeks leading up to him coming to the orphanage, you know? And um, it was just something that I will never forget. Like, his face was of sheer panic and terror. And um, he was eventually adopted into a really loving and caring family. I remember seeing him a year later, and just to see that that kid, he knew who he was. He knew that he was loved. Um, he, had, he was given a new, a new name. You know, this was... Just a beautiful thing to come see this kid, just completely loved by his family. And uh, that's the image that comes to my heart when I think of the fact that God's given us a spirit of adoption, um, that he loves us. He's given us a name. We don't have to work so hard to make a name for ourselves, you know. Um, And yeah, that's something, I think if we could truly grasp that fact that God, he loves us. He's given everything for us. Um, I think then we can truly fulfill that calling of being his heir, of being co-heirs alongside Christ, which would also involve suffering, giving, serving alongside others, serving on behalf of others. Um, And yeah, my sadness is that I don't always do that and that I allow so much of my effort go into um, trying to have a good reputation. You know, I don't think that's something that God at the end of the day is concerned about. He's concerned about us building our character, you know, and understanding who we are, uh, which is his son, his daughter, you know? Um, yeah, so I guess my question, because we should always end with the question, I guess, right? Um, is just, I, I challenge you to consider what it is that's guiding your everyday actions. Is it a fear that if you don't do these certain things that you won't be lovable and acceptable and worthy of respect? Um, or are you living in that knowledge of the fact that God truly loves you and he's given everything um, so that you could be called his son or his daughter. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time. God, we thank you so much for the beauty of your creation. And um, God, thank you so much for the ways in which we're able to see just glimpses of who you are and the diversity of, of humanity. And God, we thank you um, for this time that we have here, Artisan, where we can be um, among people coming from all over different from different places, um, different backgrounds, different cultures. Um, God, we ask that you'd really help us 
God, give us the wisdom. Give us discernment in the way that we live our lives. God, that, um, we, we ask that you'd help us to live grasping that, that truth, God, that you've given everything for us. And, uh, God, that we've already been given a name as your, your children. And God, we just ask that you would be with us as we really do struggle with this daily thing called life as we try to, um, yeah, live and, and act based on our fears, based on pride. And we ask for forgiveness for those times that we just completely disregard and, and overlook the fact um, that we are your kids. And pray this, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to be entering a time of, of communion right now. This is something we do every week here at Artisan. Um, this is a time in which we can just have an intentional moment to remember the sacrifice of Christ in which he gave his body for us, which is represented here by the bread, and he shed his blood for us, which is represented here by the wine or the juice. And here, Artisan, this table is open to all who would call themselves a follower of Christ, all those who are seeking to live this life um, with Christ as their guide. Um, and here we practice intinction where you can come and rip off a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice or the, or the wine, whatever is appropriate for you and for your family. And in this action, we join with people uh, throughout all over the nation, the world, and even through history. Um, but we're going to be singing some songs right now, and we invite you to come and uh, take part in communion right now. And if this is not a time that's appropriate for you, we also invite you at this time to, in your seat, just pray, meditate, think about the things that have been shared this morning. Um, but let's, let's enter into this time. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.